Chapter Twenty Four of Charlotte Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Charlotte Temple by Susanna Rosen. Chapter Twenty Four: Mystery Developed. Unfortunately for Charlotte, about three weeks before this unhappy rencontre, Captain Bonchamp, being ordered to Rhode Island, his lady had accompanied him, so that Charlotte was deprived of her friendly advice and consoling society. The afternoon on which Montreville had visited her, she had found herself languid and fatigued, and after making a very slight dinner, had lain down to endeavor to recruit her exhausted spirits, and. Contrary to her expectations, had fallen asleep. She had not long been lain down when Belcour arrived, for he took every opportunity of visiting her and striving to awaken her resentment against Montreville. He inquired of the servant where her mistress was, and being told she was asleep, took up a book to amuse himself. Having sat a few minutes, he by chance cast his eyes towards the road. And saw Montreville approaching, he instantly conceived the diabolical scheme of ruining the unhappy Charlotte in his opinion forever. He therefore stole softly upstairs and laying himself by her side with the greatest precaution, for fear she should wake, was in that situation discovered by his credulous friend. When Montreville spurned the weeping Charlotte from him and left her almost distracted with terror and despair. Belcour raised her from the floor and, leading her downstairs, assumed the part of a tender, consoling friend. She listened to the arguments he advanced with apparent composure, but this was only the calm of a moment. The remembrance of Montreville's recent cruelty again rushed upon her mind. She pushed him from her with some violence and, crying, "Leave me, sir! I beseech you, leave me!" For much I fear you have been the cause of my fidelity being suspected. Go, leave me to the accumulated miseries my own imprudence has brought upon me. She then left him with precipitation, and retiring to her own apartment, threw herself on the bed and gave vent to an agony of grief which it is impossible to describe. It now occurred to Belcour that she might possibly write to Montreville. And endeavored to convince him of her innocence. He was well aware of her pathetic remonstrances, and sensible of the tenderness of Montreville's heart, resolved to prevent any letter ever reaching him. He therefore called the servant, and by the powerful persuasion of a bribe, prevailed with her to promise whatever letters her mistress might write should be sent to him. He then left a polite, tender note for Charlotte, and returned to New York. His first business was to seek Montreville and endeavor to convince him that what had happened would ultimately tend to his happiness. He found him in his apartment, solitary, pensive, and wrapped in disagreeable reflections. Why, how now, whining, pining lover? said he, clapping him on the shoulder. Montreville started. A momentary flush of resentment crossed his cheek. But instantly gave place to a deathlike paleness, occasioned by painful remembrance, remembrance awakened by that monitor whom, though we may in vain endeavor, we can never entirely silence. Belcour 
said he, you have injured me in a tender point. Prithee, Jack, replied Belcour, do not make a serious matter of it. How could I refuse the girl's advances? And thank heaven she is not your wife. True, said Montreville, but she was innocent when I first knew her. It was I seduced her, Belcour. Had it not been for me, she had still been virtuous and happy in the affection and protection of her family. Pshaw, replied Belcour, laughing, if you had not taken advantage of her easy nature, some other would, and where is the difference, pray? I wish I had never seen her, cried he passionately, and starting from his seat. Oh, that cursed Frenchwoman, added he with vehemence, had it not been for her, I might have been happy. He paused. With Julia Franklin, said Belcour. The name, like a sudden spark of electric fire, seemed for a moment to suspend his faculties. For a moment he was transfixed. But recovering, he caught Belcour's hand and cried, Stop, stop, I beseech you, name not the lovely Julia and that wretched Montreville in the same breath. I am a seducer, a mean, ungenerous seducer of unsuspecting innocence. I dare not hope that purity like hers would stoop to unite itself with black, premeditated guilt. Yet, by heavens I swear, Belcour, I thought I loved the lost, abandoned Charlotte, till I saw Julia. I thought I never could forsake her. But the heart is deceitful, and I now can plainly discriminate between the impulse of a youthful passion and the pure flame of disinterested affection. At that instant Julia Franklin passed the window, leaning on her uncle's arm. She curtsied as she passed, and— with the bewitching smile of modest cheerfulness, cried, "'Do you bury yourselves in the house this fine evening, gents?' There was something in the voice, the manner, the look, that was altogether irresistible. "'Perhaps she wishes my company,' said Montreville mentally, as he snatched up his hat. "'If I thought she loved me,' I would confess my errors, and trust to her generosity to pity and pardon me. He soon overtook her, and offering her his arm, they sauntered to pleasant but unfrequented walks. Belcour drew Mr. Franklin on one side, and entered into a political discourse. They walked faster than the young people, and Belcour by some means contrived entirely to lose sight of them. It was a fine evening in the beginning of autumn. The last remains of daylight faintly streaked the western sky, while the moon, with pale and virgin luster, in the room of gorgeous gold and purple, ornamented the canopy of heaven with silver fleecy clouds, which now and then half hid her lovely face, and by partly concealing, heightened every beauty. The zephyrs whispered softly through the trees, which now began to shed their leafy honors. A solemn silence reigned, and to a happy mind an evening such as this would give serenity and calm, unruffled pleasure. But to Montreville, 
while it soothed the turbulence of his passion, it brought increase of melancholy reflections. Julia was leaning on his arm. He took her hand in his, and pressing it tenderly, sighed deeply, but continued silent. Julia was embarrassed. She wished to break a silence so unaccountable, but was unable. She loved Montreville. She saw he was unhappy, and wished to know the cause of his uneasiness. But that innate modesty, which nature has implanted in the female breast, prevented her inquiring. "'I am bad company, Miss Franklin,' said he, at last recollecting himself. "'But I have met with something to-day that has greatly distressed me, and I cannot shake off the disagreeable impression it has made on my mind.' "'I am sorry,' she replied, "'that you have any cause of inquietude. "'I am sure if you were as happy as you deserve, "'and as all your friends wish you,' she hesitated. "'And might I,' replied he, with some animation, "'presume to rank the amiable Julia in that number?' Oh, "'Certainly,' said she. "'The service you have rendered me, the knowledge of your worth all combine to make me esteem you. Esteem, my lovely Julia, said he passionately, is but a poor cold word. I would if I dared, if I thought I merited your attention. But no, I must not. Honour forbids. I am beneath your notice, Julia. I am miserable and cannot hope to be otherwise. Alas, said Julia, I pity you. Oh, thou condescending charmer, said he, how that sweet word cheers my sad heart. Indeed, if you knew all, you would pity, but at the same time I fear you would despise me. Just then they were again joined by Mr. Franklin and Belcour. It had interrupted an interesting discourse. They found it impossible to converse on indifferent subjects, and proceeded home in silence. At Mr. Franklin's door Montreville again pressed Julia's hand, and faintly articulating, "'Good night,' retired to his lodgings, dispirited and wretched, from a consciousness that he deserved not the affection with which he plainly saw he was honored. End of chapter 24 Recording by Susan Burke, SueBurkeVoice.com